You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast episode of Turning to the Mystics with Jim Finley. Uh, This is another bonus episode, trying to be responsive to the situation we all find ourselves in. Um, We are returning to uh, run the regular episodes on Thomas Merton on a Monday, and then we'll have these more responsive podcasts playing on a Wednesday um, for a period of time while they remain helpful. So uh, Jim and I are adapting (laughs) to the situation with the podcast. I think we're adapting to the situation all round. Um, But we look forward to meeting you where you all are on a Wednesday with this more responsive podcast, but really encourage you to stick with your practice and return to listening to the weekly Lexio, uh, turning to the Mystics podcasts, uh, turning to the Mystic Thomas Merton. So, Jim, thanks again for taking time today to be with us for this special podcast. Um, I'm here with Jim in his study in California. I'm in my study in California, and Corey's on with us again in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we're uh, Corey in this last week has now joined us in the in the uh, shelter in regime, and so we're we're all adapting to this new li- way of life. So thank you, Jim, and uh, you're going to lead us now in some teaching and practice, and then I'll be back at the end, and we'll uh, look at some questions that have come out, come in this last week. Good. Thank you, Kirsten. Uh, yes, greetings, everyone, and uh, so please, we can have these sessions together. Um, I want to continue with our same basic format as I'm going to share kind of a poetic reflection bearing witness to this uh, spiritual worldview of the contemplative traditions and end with a uh, way to meditate to ground us in that awareness. And um, uh, then we'll do a little sit and hopefully then during the week as you're so inclined, you can return to this and find it helpful and continue on in your practice. Hopefully you'll find this uh, a resource for you. Also, I want to be, for the remainder of these, being briefer, that is, limiting myself to one core metaphor and staying with that. So with that, then I'll I'll share this reflection with you. You know, in this reflection, I I want to turn towards uh, the healing stories of Jesus in the Gospels. And particularly, I'd like to share what all these stories share in common and what this common domain of all these stories shares in common with us in our situation here with the pandemic that we're going through and whatever other suffering we may be going through in our life, how are we drawn into this, these healing stories? And um, the, the, uh, the reflection on the healing stories in the gospel is that we see that Jesus uh, spent whole nights in prayer in which he surrendered himself over 
to his eternal oneness with the Father that was his very identity as God's presence in our midst on this earth. And he came out from that dark, sweet communion of that union, roaming the earth, looking for people to set free from suffering. And when the word got out, the suffering came looking for him. I can't walk. I can't see. My daughter died. I'm a prostitute. I have leprosy. Uh, And so on. The litany of human sorrow. And Jesus, and and we can then put ourselves there. We come to Jesus. You know, there's this pandemic, and I'm scared about myself or loved ones. or The images on the TV, I'm just afraid for all of us as a society on this earth. And what Jesus does is that he always, in each of these stories, he first responds to the suffering. And so, and, and does so in a miraculous way. This beyond our powers, so that the lame walk, the blind see, and so on. But then he says, I, 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 do, this, I do this for you as a sign that you might believe. And so the true miracle then is what is it that these outward miracles are signs of? And how do we participate in that interior miracle? And I like to get at this then in a kind of a poetic way. I'm going to speak of a poet kind of um, in a distilled essence of this of, of our faith. Is that um, Jesus stands with the person who's come to them in their, in their suffering. Or say, we're standing there with Jesus in suffering. And Jesus, as they stand there together, this is like um, between the two of them. This is in the interiority of the person who's suffering in the presence of Jesus. Jesus says to the person, uh, I know you. Because God the Father has eternally contemplated you in me, hidden with Christ and God forever before the origins of the universe. I see you. This is the unborn you. For God has never, 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 never not known who you eternally are in me from before the origins of the universe. And this you, this unborn you, that God forever knows, is the unborn you that will never die. Because God will never, 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 never not know who you are in me. I see the deathless beauty of yourself and who you are, the person that you are. Be created by God in the image and likeness of God for God's sake alone as your eternal destiny. That's who I see. And Jesus says this to begin to set us free or to join him in realizing that what's devastating about our fears it's not that we can't walk or we can't see. It, it isn't that we have leprosy or it isn't that we're terrified by the pandemic. The root of our fear is that we think we are what's wrong with us. That is, we tend to think the conditions in which we find ourselves have the authority to name who we are. But Jesus knows that the conditions in which we find ourselves do not have the authority to name who we are. Only the deathless love of God as a sole authority to name who we are, subsisting in that love as light subsist in flame forever. Jesus sees that. 
and standing there in the presence of Jesus, then the person, this is experiential salvation, they see reflected in his eyes their true face before they were born. And they're set free from the tyranny of fear. They're healed, the deep, deep healing. Now, we don't know what happened to each of those people, but in one way we do know they all died. They lived their day-by-day life, and they've been dead now for a long, long time. But tell me, what kind of life do you live in your fleeting passage through time once you've been liberated in this way, deep within your heart, like this? And so I think then this is our prayer that I'd like to suggest to you, really, that we're looking at here in this collective thing that we fear, is that first of all, we are to do what Jesus did, or to respond first to the reality of the suffering. That is, we're to do what lies in our power to protect ourselves and our loved ones and others from the destructive, uh, life-threatening effects of the pandemic. We are. And we're also, our hearts are to go out to, the, to, to those who are working directly with these people, to inspire them and guide them, sometimes at their own risk, to deal with this um, kind of traumatizing societal crisis that we're going through. We're to do that. But we're also to do it, reminding ourselves in the presence of God that we engage in love's work, leaning into it, grounded in a peace that's not dependent on the outcome of the effort. For we're grounded in a peace that's not dependent on anything at all. For it's the deathless love of God that sustains us, like the eternality of ourselves in our fleetingness through time. And this is what we pray for. This is what we pray for. Not as, as a liberation that transcends the world to take us away from it, but as a liberation that gives us the courage to be present to it, like leaning into it, um, knowing the uh, kind of the um, eternal resolution in God's love in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, for ourselves, a loved one, whoever it might be. So this then is the image. This is the image. And so I would suggest to you then, this is a way for us to meditate. And so one way to meditate is a kind of Alexio Divina. That is, we can ponder this in our heart. See, as we hear it spoken of in this way, what do we make of it? Like, where are we with this? Where are we with this? And how would we each ask God to give us the grace to join God in seeing us the way God sees us to be, invincibly established in this deathless love, in the fleetingness of our life and our passage through time? How would that be? And so we could reflect upon it. And we could also reflect upon the fact that unless we spend some daily time, a kind of... uh, grounding ourselves in this rendezvous with this love. It, the, 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 the kind of intensity of the daily stimulations overtake us. So we need a place apart to get regrounded in this presence to come out and live our life. And lastly, we can have a more contemplative sitting practice. For example, you may sit and listen to your breathing. Because each breath, with each breath you take, you're living your one less breath to breathe life. That you're melting like a candle. You're fleetingly passing away. And very, very, very soon now, you won't be here. But who you are in the fleetingness of time will eternally be subsisting in the love of God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 
and we're, we sit that we might realize this deathless beauty in the fleetingness of things, and then grounded in it, live by it, and living by it, share it with others day by day. So with that then, uh, let's sit together in meditation. I invite you to sit straight and fold your hands in prayer and bow. Be still and know I am God. Silently repeat within yourself, repeat after me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Blessings to all of you. Till next time.
some of you have been sending in questions or, or sharing things that these reflections awaken in you. And so Kirsten will now uh, interview me, kind of representing all of you. We'll have a little dialogue here to kind of mm-hmm. bring a kind of a, a dialogical kind of stance where we're all connected in this process together. Okay, Kirsten. Mm, thank you, Jim. Thank you for that beautiful reflection. Um, I was really touched by it, uh, trying to picture myself in front of Jesus and he- hearing you say that what Jesus sees when he looks at me in my suffering is this deathless, timeless person. Um, and it made me think about the images we're getting uh, at times on the news and on TV and on social media of uh, the doctors and the nurses and um, the people that are, uh, the patients that are sharing their gratitude for what they're doing and how mm-hmm. how I see yeah. like a, a deathless timeless beauty in in the way they're serving have you experienced that yes very much so very much so you you kind of and and there and what's beautiful about it really when they're really engaged in this healing encounter there's a kind of unself-aware transparency about engaging in in the in, in attempts to help this person or to help these people and the selflessness of the mm-hmm. encounter, you can see this deathless love of God shining out through their eyes and their voice and so on. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I saw a picture of a, a man um, he, and he'd written a sign and was holding it up against the glass window because he couldn't go inside to the, uh, of the hospital. But it said, thank you for saving mm-hmm. my wife's life. You know, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for... And he had tears yeah. running down his cheeks and um, just these exchanges of gratitude and um, kind of a, a sense of beauty in the world right now in, in amidst the, the chaos and the And I would think too this would be a source of hope that when all this settles down, however, with all the suffering and everything mm-hmm. that's going to come out of it, that it will give rise to a renewed social order of what our priorities are, you know, mm-hmm. as human beings, as a people, as it would be like a, a, a spiritual awakening will emerge out of this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that's been happening in my neighborhood uh, the last few nights is in joining um, with the solidarity of gratitude that's being expressed around the world mm-hmm. for the hospital workers, you know, in Italy and places like that. They've been coming out at a certain time and clapping yeah. and banging on pots and pans. And so my neighborhood started doing that, but instead of clapping, they're howling. So at, <laughs> at 8 p.m., Last night, my husband and I and our dogs went out onto the balcony and all around, like, <laughs> like how? Wow, <laughs> Just That's echoing nice. throughout the hills. So uh, there's also like this sense of a, a, a timeless, deathless communal yes, 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 yes. beauty exactly. that's arising, not just yeah, individual, but communal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, before we turn to the questions, Jim, I, I just wanted to uh, ask if there's anything you've been doing or that you've done in the last week that's that's helping you in that practice of staying grounded or um, finding places of gratitude. Well, uh, again, where I'm, as I mentioned briefly, where my, my wife died about how many days ago now? Eight, mm-hmm. Nine days, I don't remember. And... Um, 
Mm-hmm. And she died here at home in hospice. My oldest daughter, who's a hospice nurse, was here with me, helping me take care of her. And so I, I'm living with, um, you know, the emptiness of it all. But also I'm living with her deathless beauty, you know, her deathless beauty. Mm. And um, that um, this deathless beauty of herself, having crossed over into God, is the deathless beauty on which we based our whole life together in our marriage as spiritual directors and therapists. And so this really makes poignantly present to me the deathless beauty of everybody, you know. And and I so I when I turn on the news, I what I'm going through here within myself and see in microcosm what's going on in the world. See how can we in Christian terms, like what's the view from the cross? Like what's the view look like from the vantage mm. point of love crucified and in, in, in the preciousness of a of a world so fragile and so beautiful. And so there's that. And then I sit looking out at the ocean, which is right outside the door here. I'm lucky. The, and the, the, the timeless, like mm. the eternality, like the earth is bodying forth this, this love, this body, this sacrament of this love. Mm. And just like you, on the being touched by the goodness of people. And here in the neighborhood where I go for a little walk and mm. people keep their respectful distance and wave at each other. And so there's a kind of a, a tenderness mm-hmm. that I see coming out, and that that um, mm-hmm. and and preparing these talks helps me. You know, I have, I have to walk the walk here, and not just talk the talk. I gotta, I gotta kind of, uh, <laughs> I gotta, do, I have, yeah, you know, have to be authentic with this. So this helps me too. Reminds me what I'm about and what I believe in. And, yeah. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jim. Um, this last week, uh, my husband had a birthday. And uh, his family tradition, they're big about birthdays. You know, they, they love to celebrate. And, and so he was feeling kind of a bit anxious and down about his birthday arising in the time of COVID-19. So um, I surprised him by uh, setting up a Zoom link and inviting his family and my family to join us for, for a birthday party, uh, which was really sweet because... Uh, our families are rarely together because they're, you know, separated by distance. So we had um, Hal's sister and nephews in Texas. We had uh, our, our, we call him our nephew, <laughs> um, my nephew who we kind of adopted. Uh, he he was up at Tahoe, and uh, my parents in Australia, my brother in Singapore, my sister in the Philippines. And uh, so we had a an international birthday party, and it was just very, very touching to be together. When my my parents came on the screen, they had a big happy birthday sign behind them. They had hats on. They had whistles. <laughs> they had candles and cake. Um, so yeah. yeah, it was really special, uh, even in a way more meaningful than what we would have normally done. So. Uh-huh. Well, I, I want to turn to some of the questions and feedback we've been getting. Uh, Jim and I have both read all the emails that have come in and uh, really feel a sense of community in in the people listening to this podcast. And so we wanted to share with you some of some of that sense through your questions and through some of your comments. So thank you for making the effort and taking the time. It's really meant a lot to me. Yes. And uh, I think to you too, yes. Jim, to, to read those. 
So the first question comes from Julie in Texas, and she's been sitting with the phrase um, that you mentioned in the last podcast, that God protects us from nothing but sustains us in all things. And she was lining that up with um, the, a verse in John seventeen eleven that I'll read for you that says, uh, Jesus is saying, I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so her question is, what, what is the protection that Jesus is talking, yeah. talking about in that verse? Well, um, this is my sense of this. And I want to say this verse is a trauma survivor and someone who's worked with trauma, so I'll put it in graphic terms that this and is uh, I, 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 live Marine, I live in Santa Monica area here in the general area of Los Angeles. And so tonight in the city of Los Angeles, and really in major cities throughout the country, throughout the world, there, there, there are little girls who are going to be incested again. And there are little boys who are going to be beaten, maybe half to death, by their own father or stepfather. And God's not helping a single one of them, if by help, it means stepping in to stop it from happening. God didn't stop my trauma from happening, nor did God stop the damage that it did to me psychologically. So I mean it in, I mean it in that sense. Likewise, the whole mystery of the cross is that whatever it means that God protects us, it does not mean that God prevents the cruel thing, the harsh thing, the brutal thing, the violent thing from happening to us in our innocence. It, do, it doesn't mean that. God depends on us to be there for and with each other, to protect each other at that level. But having said that, having said that, see, God, God protects us from nothing, but God unexplainably sustains us in all things. And we're unexplainably sustained in the deathless beauty of ourselves, being sustained by God unexplainably on up to this present moment. And we have faith and hope trust on up to and including the moment of our death and beyond. In the moment of our death, we are being unexplainably sustained by this infinite love taking us to itself. So I, I think I, I, I use the term, and I mean it in those terms, in that, in that term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jim, for those, for those people who really struggle with that, um, that way of looking at life, uh, to accept that the suffering exists, but to know there's this deathless, timeless love. What, how do you? How, what advice do you give them to kind of get in touch with that well, love? I'll, that I'll you're say speaking this again: trauma, the reality of trauma. And by the way, that's how personal the pandemic is. It touches internalized traumas and abandonment. Some of us have much more resiliency than others, and some of us have been through things. Mm-hmm. And if we've been through internalized traumas. The present trauma re-energizes what we've been through. So this is what I mean by the traumatization of spirituality. See, it's the trauma that traumatizes the capacity to know that we're we're being sustained. Because insofar as we're in the Mm. grips of our trauma, we can't access that. We cannot access that. Mm. And uh, hence we rely on ritualistic reenactments of internalized trauma and abandonments and addictive numbing. And this is the psychological reality of suffering, of human suffering. So what we're really trying to do then 
is wherever we can find just one person, just whatever. Sometimes it's being alone in the midst of nature. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's just one person mm -hmm. in whose presence we sense that we're not alone. And they can see mm -hmm. in us a value we can't yet see. Or that we know that in their presence we're not alone because they are with us. And little by little by little, uh, we can internalize that to get regrounded again. And so we're always trying to pass this on and help each other out. We're all in this together. And we're all mm -hmm. helping and being mm -hmm. helped by each other in this collective effort. So in our passage through time, the encounter goes the way it goes. But it's grounded in a peace that's not dependent on the outcome of the encounter. Because it's grounded in the love um, that depends on nothing. Because it's the infinite love of God on which everything mm. depends. So poetically, it's beautiful and true. But to what extent it rings true for us and how we experience it touches us on what we're going through at the time and or coping strategies and all of that, you know, I th it needs to be respected in its complexity. Mm -hmm. Well, I hear two things we can do out of that. One is these meditations that you're creating specifically for this point in time are coming out of an intuition of what might be helpful for people to connect to that love. And I know the one from last week, the whispering in Jesus's ear, I've been trying to do that every day. And the one today in coming to Jesus in our suffering and knowing, trying to see ourselves through Jesus's eyes, the beautiful meditation yeah. you gave us today yes. is one way to help. And then you're suggesting another way is to either reach out to a friend or be the friend that reaches That's out right. to someone else who might need this. Yeah, I think what we're looking for is... Um, where where are those people or those places or those things which when I give myself over to them with my whole heart, it regrounds me in a kind of a connectedness to something that's sustaining me in the midst mm -hmm. of my difficulties. And uh, and hopefully exactly these sharings we're doing here might be for some people among those resources to help them. Yeah. Well, we certainly got some feedback uh this last week that it's been helpful. So so we're continuing on. Um, well, thank you for answering that one, Jim. Um, another one is, and it's a good follow-up to what we've just been talking about, is Helen's asking, uh, how can we respond to other people's fears regarding this pandemic? <clears throat> my my, you know, my <laughs> sense is this. First thing we do, we respond by acknowledging the context of our relationship with this person. So maybe someone real close, like our husband or a wife or one of our children or a close friend, like it's like that. Sometimes we really don't have that kind of access to them. You know, it's more distant. So what we're always doing is acknowledge the limitations mm -hmm. of the encounter. that we It doesn't lie within our power to rescue them mm -hmm. themselves. So, so there's that. The next thing, like we were saying in the meditation with Jesus, is we, when, when, when they express their fear, inst we begin by saying to them, I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. That is, we let them know they're not alone. In them. Instead of trying to fix it or cheer them up, we first join them mm. to let them know they're not alone in their pain, like I'm with you in this pain. And then we look for little openings, like what could I possibly say that might be helpful? I think we've all had the experience of being with a friend or a loved one, and they're in an immense pain, and they're sharing something. And we say something that helps them, and we don't know how we knew how to say that. So I think we need to kind mm -hmm. of be open 
to the flow of what might be given to us, like how can I be helpful, accept the limitations in it and the mm. holiness of the sincerity of the encounter, and then see where that goes with the givens of each person. Mm. That's helpful. And I like that that stance you're encouraging, which is just in kind of a uh, how can I be helpful, but not not with um, a sense of responsibility for, sure. for knowing the answer, just an openness and the answer may or may not be given, but but not to feel that responsibility, just That's the right. openness for the flow That's right. of love and love yeah. meeting. And I also think what happens then, based on the given, is a dialogue ensues, and that the reassurance mm-hmm. comes out of the sincerity of the dialogue. You know, there's like an exchange, and in the midst of the sincerity of the mm-hmm. exchange, there's a kind of the opening up of something, where a little light shines in. I think it's often like that. Um, I wanted to read a couple of quotes uh, that were sent in from from people listening just to give you a sense of where some people are in our community so that uh, we might stand in solidarity with them. One uh, is from an anonymous friend and they wrote, I work in a busy grocery store making bread and other baked goods for the extremely stressed out community. And it is so calming to come home and listen to your voices and get centered in God. So someone who's um, one of the few people working in a place, being in contact with the stressed out public, that must be challenging. That must be very challenging. And I also think, too, another thought came to me, too, is that say the person grounds himself in this space we're in so that when they go out and they're making bread, May the bread that I give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm. See, may the love with which I make this bread convey to them something of the love that's present in their life. You know, like kind of a sacramental quality to the bread concretizes it mm-hmm. as a service. Yeah. That's beautiful. Another one comes from Kate in the UK, and she says, Thank you for this bonus podcast. I'm home with three young children. So lovely to feel valued as part of a podcast community. So uh, yeah. I know um, many, many parents, my my sister included, has four children. And yeah. so uh, she's she's home. When she came onto the call, the birthday call, uh, someone said, how are you doing, Sarah? And she said, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The never-ending yeah. uh, being at home with the kids. By the way, I think, too, uh, parents of children go through this. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's so, children are so somatically empathic with what we're going through. Mm. And we need to be very careful to protect, you know, we're afraid. But we need to be very careful not to, you know, to be a reassuring presence. And then when they do express a fear, if they're seeing something on TV, we can acknowledge their fear and say everyone's kind of afraid. You know, mm-hmm. but we have each other, we love each other, we kind of, that kind of honest, resp- that age-appropriate response to being present mm-hmm. and protective to them as they kind of find their own experience of this, you know, based mm-hmm. on what they hear from oh, the media, whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Similar to the meditation we did. That's kind of a theme, Jim, the, the way Jesus approached people suffering and the way you're encouraging us to always acknowledge it the reality of the suffering, not to fix yeah. it, reject it, or yeah. or um, try and move yeah. people on from it, but first, like, really acknowledge that it's true. That's right. Before we close, I just wanted to um, 
invite people into our discussion, be a bit transparent about the desire to uh, have people resume the Thomas Merton teachings on the Mondays and then they can pop in and listen to these um, responses on the Wednesday. But the the rationale, just the teaching of Thomas Merton being timeless and important um, throughout time. So in he, he when he was teaching, there was a lot of suffering going on as well. There was, and, and people are going to vary to what extent they care to get into the life of each teacher, mystic mm-hmm. teacher. And, uh, but Thomas Merton and all these things, it was, there was a lot of suffering in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, in his childhood, his parents dying and inner struggles that he went through. Mm-hmm. And, um, which he was very open about in his journals, his inner turmoil and struggles. I'll share something, though, that touched me about, I don't know if I said in one of the little talks I did or not. As I went in once to see Thomas Merton, we could end with this thought. Um, I went in to see Merton once for spiritual direction. And um, I was talking about this union with God that I was seeking there in the monastery. And he said, well, you know, he said this union with God that we're seeking um, uh, is a union of God we're seeking in which we, we are learning to, to experience the suffering of the whole world in our heart. That we, we, we're not finding a rarefied air beyond the suffering of this world, but rather we're grounded in the love in which our communal fragility is being lived out in our own brokenness, so that when we carry it with loving tenderness, that willingness to carry that tenderness touches the whole world in ways we don't understand. Hmm. And Merton was a deep believer in that through his own life. And so it's interesting to read the lives of these people mm-hmm. and the suffering that was in their life. And no one's exempt. You know what I mean? Kind yeah. of we're not exempt from it, but we can be we can be um we can learn to stabilize our heart uh in the depth of the love that transcends the suffering and unexplainably sustains us in it. And that's mm-hmm. the peace I think that we're looking for. Yeah. Well just hearing you say that quote from Thomas Merton just reveals what a great teacher he is for this this time. Yeah. And so yeah. um, there's an opportunity for people to practice in yeah. those sessions. Um, just before we leave, Jim, I did want to read one quote um, from our community. And this, I think this is, um, there was a number of uh, people who wrote in with, with a similar sense of wanting to offer uh, condolences to you. So... I'll just read this one from Michelle. Hearing today that in the midst of all of this, you just lost your wife, and in the midst of this immediate loss and grief, you are speaking to us with such presence, compassion, and love. You are being here for us. I was deeply moved and wanted to connect with you in your sorrow and let you know how much you have given me and how grateful I am. So thank you, Jim. Oh, yeah. It's a gift to me, so thank you. I'll see you next time. Yes, next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. Please consider rating it, writing a review, 
or sharing it with a friend who might be interested in learning and practicing with this online community. To learn more about the work of James Finlay, please visit jamesfinlay.org. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.